Hello, and welcome to the Price of Everything webcast. I'm your host, Tim Price, and joining me this week is my friend, Sean Corrigan. Welcome to the show, Sean. Nice to be here. Thank you, Tim. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Uh, what have you done? What's your, what's your beat, baby? <laughs> okay, well, I've been in markets since we actually had them. Um, and I remember that moment. Yeah, that's right. And I've survived past the point where we don't anymore. Um, so I now uh, work as an independent consultant for a group of guys called Hind Capital who run a, a gold fund and also a, an actively managed dividend fund, which does quite well. Um, I also write my own uh, research newsletter, uh, two newsletters, one of which is called uh, um, Money, Macro and Markets. Um, I'm guessing so that's about money, macro, economics. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it works from the one to the other. Everything works from money outwards. Yeah. Money is the, dishonest money is the root of all evil, as I've always said. Um, and we have an awful lot of dishonest money in this institutional setup we have. To that point, then, it's something I was going to ask you fairly, fairly soon out of the, out of the, the, the bat, off the bat. Uh, would you would you describe yourself as an Austrian school sympathizer? Uh, no, more than a sympathizer. I've been a card-carrying member for at least 20 years And now. for the benefit of people who may not be familiar, could you define, give us a definition for what that means? Okay, so Austrian economics is an economics which starts, believes that everything works from the bottom up from the individual, that uh, values are given by what we each subjectively want. Those wants are can be quite irrational from an outside perspective, but being... Um, thinking human beings, we go about realizing those wants in as rational a manner, a manner as, and purposeful manner as possible. So we're very much subjectivist. We think there's no absolute value. Value is what people, the value of something is what someone puts on it. And of course, when enough people come to interact, that's what sets a market price at the margin. Uh, we believe very much in free markets, uh, simple rule of law, minimum government intrusion. The monetary system, money should be a mechanism for transmitting goods and values and prices from one to another. When we are trying to sell our products and buy somebody else's, it shouldn't be a tool, it shouldn't be manipulated. That would be like scrambling the radio waves. So we believe in simple, low things, individual interactions, and let the network effects and the emergent orders build beyond that. So the division of labor and the wealth and the things that these produce come from the bottom up, not from the top down. Most government intervention is therefore bad. Why do you think the Austrian school, I mean, I'm a sympathizer too, so what, why do you think the Austrian school, or classical economic school, if you like, is being sidelined up until comparatively recently? Well, there are two quite cynical methods for this, is that, um, number one, it doesn't give intellectuals much scope, because the intellectuals admit that if we allow acting human beings to get on with their lives in a... a which, is, which is inherently unforecastable. In a free and fair, fair framework, they will make the best of their own welfare. Mm. So there's no rule for intellectual philosopher kings. Mm. And secondly, of course, it says that all the government should do, uh, the, the most... Get out of the way. Get, get out, out of the way. way. Be a referee. Be, yeah. be the night watchman and stand on the sides just to make sure that when there is uh, an offence, when there is a crime, when there is a breach of contract, when there is some form of violence, that you have an arbiter to go to, and they should do no more than that. So who, who wants that? Most people are either want are either uh, want to be intellectuals or want to be politicians and rule makers. So, so we lose out. The way, and the way I describe this to people is I, I think, personally, I've learned more about the nature of markets and investing and economics since 2008 when it became quite clear that something had gone very badly wrong. Um, would the Austrian school advocate any form of banking regulation? Well, we're, we're for free banking. So the banks should be no different to any other So they should be allowed to fail. They should never be allowed to be big enough that they, they attain a specialized situation. The free market situation. wouldn't really allow them to be that big. Uh, the problem is that the banks have always been tied up with I mean, the Bank of England was set up to finance William IV's wars against the French, against Louis the, the Sun King. Um, 
the banks have always been tied into the state, the central banks. Um, and unfortunately, the experiments with free banking, where the bank has to stand on its own capital, on its own merits, on its own decision-making, on its own reputation, just like any other company has to do, like VW has to do, or Pfizer, or Marks and Spencers, it's been very limited when we've had a world where that has taken place. Where those limited experiments have had taken place, Scotland is one instance in the 18th, early 19th century, Canada's another, They've actually worked very well indeed. They've been very limited busts, and the busts have been limited to the failure of one institution and its customers and hasn't been systemic. We've never been allowed to do that since about 1860. So, big question time. How do we get out of this mess? <laughs> big question time. Um, the problem here is, of course, is that this is the classic Irish... You wouldn't start I, from I here. I wouldn't start from here uh, situation. So, we can kind of know what the ideal is or what we think the ideal is, how do we navigate our way towards it? The one thing we should do is we should wean everybody off permanent central bank support. We should mm. tell people that if you make a decision and it goes wrong, then yes, I'm sorry, you have to bear the consequences. We can have some sympathy. Perhaps if you have a, a, merit, a, a case of merit, we and our own individual charity and forbearance can make allowances for you, but it should not be systemically written in that there is no failure because if you try to do that, if you try to prevent anyone failing, you end up that everyone fails and you have subpar economic growth mm. You have subpar development, new technologies, new advances don't come through because the new green shoots can't push through the dead wood. And masses of moral hazard. Masses of moral hazard. And also this whole secular stagnation shtick, which they've reinvented to explain away their failure over the last eight to ten years, they're the cause of it because they don't allow failure. They don't, therefore, they militate against success. Isn't there a problem, though, in that if you give a bureaucrat or a technocrat power, he's, he or she is not likely to want to relinquish it anytime soon? Well, absolutely. Mission creep is always the answer. Mm. Institutional ossification is the point we start from. I mean, let's take the classic case. NATO was set up for justifiable reasons when we decided our great Russian allies of the Second World War were now our great Russian enemies of the Cold War. We set up NATO. That ended in 1989, 1991. We, NATO is bigger and bolder and taking more mm. strides and pushing its profile higher than ever. Why? They have to invent enemies to subside because the whole structure, as you say, of technocrats, bureaucrats, the companies who serve them, the people who've built their career around them perpetuate themselves. And the same thing happens, in, obviously, in financial markets and in the monetary system. So speaking of remote and accountable bureaucracy, um, leave or remain? Dare I ask which <laughs> way you, you had sympathy there? Well, I was discussing this with a Scottish friend of mine um, j just a few moments before I came here, and I said, well, you'd be no surprise to know that I was for Brexit. I said, I'm also for Scottish independence. I'm for West Lothian independence. I'm for the Parish Council of Air independence. Okay. I think the smaller government is, the more accountable it is. It can't be grandiose. Uh, it doesn't have the resources. It can't plan the world. You can nail the parish councillor in the corner of the pub and say, why is there dog mess still in my street when I pay mm. taxes to get and rates to get rid of it? If the, the bigger government becomes, the more the government, governing elite can divorce themselves from the individual. And we're seeing the breakdown of this system all across Europe at the moment, and arguably with Trump and the like, all across the world, Western world. There's a chap I came across quite recently, Thomas Sowell, who you'll probably be familiar with, an American, uh, African-American economist, and he... He nailed the, uh, the problem with socialism along the lines of saying, you know, the history of socialism is one of such profound failure that only, a, only an academic or an intellectual could, could try and refute it. Well, I think there was one I saw by Charles Gav in France, and he, said so, he quoted an old professor or, or an intellectual influence of his, and it was something along the lines of, um, if you're a socialist, you can't be 
honest, competent, and efficient all at the same time. You have to pick two out of three. And I completely agree, yes. So to go back to the earlier question about how we get out of the mess, uh, do we just get a bigger crisis as a result of this mission creep? Well, uh, you've just said yourself, are they ever going to admit their own failings? I mean, the Fed is at this famous Jackson Hole conflab next week where they gather the good and great of the central banking world and everybody who thinks he has an opinion on how monetary systems should work. We've had the greatest monetary experiment, the most extreme monetary experiment in history. And it hasn't really worked. Hasn't really worked, hasn't delivered what they wanted to do. We, I think we had Mr. Blanchflower, ex of the Bank of England, the other week on Twitter, saying, well, we don't know how to get out of it because we don't know how we got into it, but how about we try this? And then getting annoyed when people called him on it. You wouldn't trust a doctor who had that kind of no, uh, bedside manner, no, would absolutely. you? absolutely. And the doctor doesn't make trillions of dollars of mistakes which affect billions of people. Um, but at the, what are they discussing? Are they discussing whether they're on the right track? They're discussing something so abstruse. It's called monetary policy resiliency. I mean, mm -hmm. what does that even mean? I mean, it, there's no, there's no self-examination at that level. I think, actually, if you talk to the previous generation of central bankers, who are now, of course, safely retired, safely out of the loop. People like Paul Volcker? Uh, Mervyn King and one or two others. Uh, they will question what is going on. Some of them, we are told privately, and in my experience, one or two have done this to me in confidence, are expressing horror at what's going mm. on. But the current generation, all the MIT cult, are all clustered around it. The PhD standard. Is yeah, they're all clustered problem. around it, and they're all pushing it. And, and we've seen with Mr. Carney, there's only four. Flucht nach vorne, I think, is a German military phrase. When it all goes wrong, just attack and hope something comes out. And this is what they're doing. So to bring things down to brass tacks, then, as, as an investor, as a strategist, how do you orient a, a portfolio in this environment? Because it's clearly not easy. No. Um, your bond portfolio is supposed to be your backstop, less volatile, the basic income. You have to worry with the bond portfolio whether you get an erosion from uh, overspending, government policy, bad money. But usually you get 2 or 3% cushion at the current levels to see you through it. You don't get that anymore. And the bonds are being used as a system to pump more money in, in, into, the, into the game. There's a breakdown of the differentiation, therefore, between um, longer-term credit and money itself, which is confusing in the first issue. So we, we said this thing at the beginning. Money should just be like the, the pipes that your, your water flows mm. through, or it should be like the airwaves that your, your radio station, your TV station goes through. Instead, now it's being used somewhere to park things because... Nobody wants the alternatives because they've become um, unviable. They don't offer any options for tying up the, the, the liquidity and the time and foregoing opportunity. And nobody knows what to do. Because bonds are so expensive, everything else is becoming expensive. Lesser grade credits, uh, emerging market credits, and obviously stocks themselves. So we don't know how to allocate capital because we don't know what the pricing system is because we've perverted, prostituted the pricing system mechanism. Gold. Where do you stand on gold? Well, it's becoming increasingly clear that more and more people see this uh, as having a long-term role to protect against this system. As a monetary store of value? Yeah. And, uh, or as, as a crisis hedge? Well, money I take an issue with because I, I'm, 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 I'm very extreme in my definition of money. Money is a medium of exchange. Yeah. It's very hard to use gold. We can, of course, sell it and buy it and swap it for things. But it's quite liquid. But not on, yeah, but not in the same way, without question, on demand, at full par value. As U.S. dollars. As you can with U.S. dollars. Yeah. So I, I quibble about the fact that it's money. It, it could be money. It was money once. could be money again in a, in a world that was better than today's. I quibble about the fact that it is money now. Um, that given, 
Gold long term, what, where it's very hard to construct an argument against it. it mm. It's a hard liquid asset. It offers historically protection in inflationary periods because of that. It's something scarce that can't be created at will, whereas the money with which you can buy it can be. It has also proven its worth, as we've seen through all these crises, as an insurance policy. It's a put option on the world because when you worry about financial assets, gold sometimes does still go down because in that world we're contracting back from where we are, but it tends to go down a lot less than anything else. Mm. So in relative value terms, it does very well. It but it's binary. At those, those two wings, it does well for you. In the middle, of course, it can wash $100 here, $100 there, and people get worried about what the wash is. And of course, we have enthusiasms on one side of the trade, as arguably we've had this year with record ETF investment. Uh, you can have enthusiasms the other side, on the bearish side of the trade, as arguably we did last year and the year before, when we were dumping away from $1,900 down to 10 That's the bit that worries everybody. But what you have here is an asset with used to have an opportunity cost, cost you a couple of percent a year to store your gold, whereas your money was giving you a couple of percent. But now that's gone. that's, that's gone. gone. So uh, all the arguments are definitely skewing the gold way. Short term, it may be a bit overbought. There may be momentum traders in who will panic out. Longer term, while this policy goes on, it's very hard to say you shouldn't have it. And is it paranoid to think about holding gold in a jurisdiction outside where you live? <laughs> well... Property holders who have the ability to do so have always spread risk around jurisdictions, mm. haven't they? Because there is this phrase, only the paranoid survive. Yeah, well, you know, if it doesn't cost you anything, if it's no extra inconvenience, why would you not take the option if you can? Sure. Uh, final thoughts? Uh, something of optimism? Something of optimism. Well, um, the, the bear market in human political stupidity is infinite. The bull market in human entrepreneurial ingenuity is also infinite. The entrepreneurs against what I call the contrapreneurs, the, the bureaucrats, the politicians, and the like. At the moment, the contrapreneurs are not quite the upper hand because we still do improve, but we're not improving as much as we should. Given the opportunity, each one of us is our own entrepreneur when we jump out of bed and work out how to feed our families in the morning. The more freedom we get, the better. Perhaps the breakdown of this other system and the, the revealing of the, of the hubris of the planners, it'll be painful when we live through it, but ultimately, we've seen in the past, when we have these catharsis, 10, 15% drops in GDP in extreme financial, people then start from square one, question everything, go back to the old values. They tend to rebuild pretty quickly if they're allowed to. And the period after that, before they forget, before they again become wasteful, before they again subsidize politicians, tends to be a period of prosperity. So maybe we have to have a catharsis. But the catharsis, unless we get it really wrong, is not self-perpetuating. Sure. That's it for this week. You've been watching the Price of Everything webcast with me, Tim Price, manager of the VT Price Value Portfolio. Um, if you want to comment on the show, feel free to engage with me on Twitter. I'm on handle at Tim F. Price. Uh, we've been joined this week by Sean Corrigan. Sean, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Tim, for having me.
Tim F. Price. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on the very next show. Goodbye for now. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you.